Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary friends. Welcome to Multicultural TV Talk, a Media Village podcast where we bring you exclusive interviews with talent and creatives from across entertainment, discovering their stories and how they're changing the face of stardom across media. As always, I'm your host, Juan Ayala. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get to talking. Today's guest is a comedian, actress, and writer who has written for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah and currently starring in the comedy from Superstore creator Justin Spitzer, NBC's American Auto. It's X Mile X. Welcome to the show. Wonderful to see you again. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Um, so co firstly, congrats to you uh, and everyone involved. Uh, I've been watching week to week along with Grand Crew uh, back to back on NBC. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a time where tentpole shows um, fill up the schedule on a lot of networks. So uh, freshman comedies don't always have space to get in. So I know just getting past the pilot stage is already a huge feat in and of itself. So congrats mm -hmm. on your, you know, you guys have got your season finale uh, around the corner. So yeah, what's going through your head? What's what's your what are your feelings right now? Um, yes. Well, what's going through my head is um, where is season two? OK, um, <laughs> I I need to um, get another season. We need six seasons. The show is so good. I I feel so good because no matter what happens, whether or not we get a season two, um, I think we made an amazing show. Like primetime shows are literally a once in a lifetime, one in a million chance that you get to do one. So um, for my first one, and hopefully one that I do for a very long time, I'm very grateful to be a part of this cast with this crew and to be a part of something created by the Justin Spitzer who makes such wonderful hits with shows like Superstore and he came from the office so um I'm feeling great I'm feeling excited I'm feeling very confident um in what we've done so um the role of Dory was your first series regular role and you've done so much throughout mm -hmm. your career you've done producing your sketch comedy group uh who made the potato salad we've talked about it before mm -hmm. uh, so what was your reaction to booking the role of Dory for the show um I didn't believe it <laughs> I just <laughs> because how it happened was I did this self-tape in New York coming off of a very uh very um long flight I did the New York to LA flight three times I mean if you've never done it I, I don't know how fucking math works I think it's like technically five hours with the time difference it feels like eight I was just like I, it, I was so tired and then when I went in there and did it um, NBC casting has truly always been on my side since I've been auditioning with them. And I saw I saw the character and they were like, X, don't read the breakdown. I was like, okay, now I gotta read the breakdown. And I saw that it was originally written for like a middle-aged, like 50-something-year-old white woman who's a grandmother from the Midwest. And if you see, okay, she's none of those things. Um, I am a grandmother though. I had a baby at nine. It was, you know, a big old thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, so when I got to LA and, you know, you do like the chemistry test, network test, all that, they were like, no X, we don't have, you're not, not having to do the chemistry test. I was like, okay. And they're like, yeah, you're not going to do the network test either. And I was like, okay, so does that mean I'm out of the race? Like, and they're like, no, 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 no. We'll keep you updated, keep you updated. And then my uh, agent, Jackie called me. She was like, everyone's on the call. Marcy's on the call. Everybody's on. And when you hear that, you're like, oh shit. And I just kept saying, what, what? Cause I've been auditioning since preteens and never booked much, um, which I'm grateful for because it gave me the tenacity and the wherewithal to make my own shit. And so I think that's how I've maintained a level of sanity in this business by doing my own thing. So I don't bet on the industry, I bet on myself. 
So everything that I get, I'm truly shocked and surprised at because I mean, I believe in me and I know my talent, but it's such a hard um, business to be in because you could be all those things and still not be chosen. So um, I feel really good and I feel really blessed. So when I got it at first, I didn't believe it. And then I ran to Justin Spitzer the next day. She's like, you got to go meet him because usually how things normally work, you would have done chemistry and networking. You would have met everybody. So I ran into Justin's arms and gave him the biggest, strongest hug. This was pre-COVID, okay? <laughs> now, you know, Justin and I, we just go like this from afar, you know? <laughs> um, and I was like, you've changed my life. And I gave him the biggest hug and kiss on his cheek. And I was, to this day, forever grateful. So because the process started before COVID and at this point, it's like hard to keep track of how many years it's been. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we just hit th these two years basically of uh, since the initial shutdowns and everything. So um, what's that whole process been like from like getting the job and then lockdowns and then entering this new world of a, of a much more sort of tighter, safer production? Yeah, I would say when we didn't know whether or not we were going to shoot it, I was still very busy with writing at The Daily Show. So I had another job and then producing potato salad, seeing how we were going to pivot. And in the um, pandemic, once it first hit, I started doing more panels and workshops. I did one about being a writer's assistant, a script coordinator. And then we went into doing one for late night. And most recently, we just wrapped up uh, the first weekend of our writing the pilot TV workshop and we're doing another one coming this Saturday on March 5th. So I kept myself pretty busy um, with that. But once we shot the pilot, the pilot was really, really extremely like nerve wracking just because it was in the fall of 2020. So it was talks of, you know, the vaccines and different things like that, but we just didn't know for sure. And so um, we were just nervous that, well, we're going to be able to fucking finish shooting the pilot, let alone getting it greenlit and then getting the season and stuff. So, um, of course, once uh, season one rolled out, we we're still very safe, but we had like, you know, our own trailers, our own little pods. We're all vaccinated and um, all um, very much so taking COVID seriously um, within the production and when we were not at work. So yeah, so it was a little nerve wracking, but I kept myself busy because I only focused on what I can control most of the time. You know, sometimes I am human, my brain wanders, but I put myself back on course and just do what I can do about what I can do. That's it. You know, you, you did mention um, the the resources that you have been able to provide for uh, other uh, actors, writers, and, and folks that are sort of up, up and coming in the content creation world and I want to touch on that a bit because your goal is to be able to provide these things that people from marginalized communities don't normally have access to because mm -hmm. Lord knows we can't all afford to get into debt to go to film school or to go to these prestigious writing programs. Honey. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, what is the, I, I, I did to say what the goal was, but what is um just sort of the, the motivation behind that? How did all of that start for you with? Yeah, I mean, I've always had this mindset. I think being the niece of 10 aunts and uncles and having like 50, 11 cousins, we've always been community like minded. It was like, I got my my cousin's old shoes and certain things like that. If my mom had like all the rice and the beans, my Thea would come through with the meat. My other Thea would make, the dessert and then my uncles would bring all the drink you know like we've always just it's always just been 
about how can we get for everybody? Like I've always been that way. Um, and I think I've done it at every level. So even at UCB, when I was just um, an intern there and I was doing um, comedy shows with an indie improv team, I created something called the PLC Comedy Google Group, which was a resource for black people and people of color to come together and have, we all um, were a part of this like email Google group. And what I would do is I would go to the best teachers um, and coaches at UCB and ask them to do a workshop for free and donate their time. Because the issue was that um, UCB um, was giving diversity scholarships. And for those of you listening who don't know, UCB stands for Upright Citizens Brigade. And it is like one of the top um, schools for improv and sketch comedy and characters. Um, it is um, no longer around, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know they were going through some funding and stuff like that, but I believe it's um, officially closed. However, um, it was around for over 20 years and has um, helped foster the careers of so many people that you love on SNL, the likes of Nicole Byers, the Shears Zameda, um, along with Gary Richardson, who's phenomenal talent and like, a big brother in comedy to me who's at SNL. So yeah, so then I was just like realizing that the scholarships that they were giving, um, it was um, within four categories. So it was um, people of color, um, LGBTQ, people over 40, disabled, and then veterans, so five. So if you're only giving out 35 um, scholarships out of those five groups, how many Black people or people of color are getting in there? So then it wouldn't be many of us who could afford it. Then there's few of us who get a scholarship. Then when we get into class, we don't see ourselves in the classroom or in the teacher. So I said, hey, we're not even making it through the entire program to be eligible to audition to really reap the benefits of being at UCB because you got to get on that damn um, on that on that talent uh, list when casting directors come and look they're going to UCB looking for top tier talent and they know that they've already been vetted through the UCB program so I was like okay well what if there was a list what if black people knew that there is a group of people that are just like them that are trying to make it out here and you know and they can get classes for free so that group started with me just with about 40 something people and me going to different uh, every um, theater, whether it be Magnet, The Pit, IO, and UCB, and just going to shows and literally seeking out community. Like I knew I had to be diligent. And so from that group, I said, well, you can invite other people and, and I'll approve them and they can keep coming. And it grew to over 300 people on that list. So that was me just interning, just doing that, trying to provide resources. So now when I started Potato Salad in 2017, you know, there was no daily show. There was you know, there was nothing. It was just me grinding it out and um, constantly focused on building my own, which I'm still very focused on. And I think that's my proudest accomplishment to this day is building um, my own. And I think um, the blessing disguise with the pandemic showed me how to pivot and how to um, create more access and community for my community. And so I just was like, okay, let me not uh, focused so much on live sketch comedy shows, let me give my community resources. And that's how the workshops came about. We were kind of already doing that pre-pandemic. We were doing panels and our actual last panel that we did um, for Black History Month in LA happened literally the week before the shutdown. Yeah. So yeah. So I think um, we just, potato salad, we just kind of pivot whatever happens um and i just kind of see the need and the response that we got has been outstanding with these workshops i said oh 
now I see what my community needs. So even when we go back to live sketch comedy and go to TV and do all the things that I know God has planned for us, I'm still going to do workshops because I see how much um, that is essential for my people. We always ask our guests if there's an early memory you have of a, of a performance or a TV show or a film or anything that made you feel represented and seen for the first time. Oh yeah, I attribute that to Queen Latifah's character, Khadija on Living Single all the time because when I got introduced to her, I wasn't like um, old enough to watch her when it was like around, like to get it. But I was, I came across it, I wanna say when I was like, um, like 12 or 13. Um, and so um, I was just obsessed with the fact that she was a boss that she was bigger because I um, had a random growth spurt. Well, it wasn't random, but it was just like, to me, I was just like, how did I get so tall? And my mom was like, yes, what? Now I have to buy 17 pairs of new shoes. And <laughs> I just saw like this woman whose presence was big, right? Like she didn't take any shit. She owned her own business. She held it down. She was a hustler. She was also desired. And even with her and Sinclair and even Regine's character played by Kim Fields, who was so, who was top heavy. So, which isn't something that you often see even with petite women, they're small all over, but she was very busty. Um, and their weight or um, their voluptuousness was never a conversation. It was never like the sum of her as a character. It was just like, no, I'm just a person and we're not even talking about it. You're not even going to think about it. Um, but yeah, Khadijah, when I saw Queen Latifah's character, Khadijah James um, on Living Single, I really, really saw myself and I saw like a powerful beautiful black woman that was just moving through the world. And it was like a utopia they created there because even now I wasn't, I was too young to appreciate it, but now rewatching it when they talk about so flippantly and candidly about, yeah, she's like, yeah, I have to cover the Miss Black America pageant. Like there was just so many things like Overton wearing a hat that says eracism, all of them always wearing HBCU um, like sweaters and hoodies. Like there's so many like messages hidden that you don't even really see that, you know, as a, as an adolescent, I didn't really catch, but as an adult, I appreciate so much more. That show really, really deserves its flowers. And I think it's past due. Yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. if you could, if you were able to tell that 12 or 13 year old you that you'd made it this far in your career, do you think they'd believe you? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that I, um, I never knew I'd be here. I knew very early on um, just because coming up and um, seeing the stories and hearing the stories about shows, excuse me, movies like Hollywood Shuffle, you know, that um, Keenan Wayans and Robert Townsend took all these credit cards to make and do. And then um, uh, coming into like the era of Tyler Perry and those plays and all of that, because I'm born and raised in the church. So that was like a huge part of me growing up, I was like, oh, you're gonna get there, ex. You just have to do it on your own. So I just made it my mission and it was just, oh, this is the route that I'm taking. So it wasn't like, oh fuck, I gotta do it on my own. It was like, oh no, this is the route. Like how you have to take the 405 and you exit to get to LAX. It's just the route you have to take. It's not, fuck, I gotta get on the freeway. It's just what you have to do. So I never thought that I'd be here in this manner. I never thought um, anyone else would see my light and my talent because as an actor, you get rejected so long. It just becomes like just second nature to you. 
So I thought I'd be here, but by my own merit, like just because of a show that I created and sold and starred in, um, not because someone as amazing and brilliant as Justin Spitzer would see it. But um, that's how good God is. So yeah, I think I'd tell her and she'd be like, yeah. And uh, if you could give that 13 year you any advice, what would you say? Um, try softer with yourself. Be softer. Um, I was hard on myself since since I can remember. Very high standards for myself. So oftentimes unrealistic because I was a kid. But I just was like, everyone has to love this. This has to be great. Like it's just, it would just be just a, a simple dance performance. But I worked really hard, which I'm grateful for. But there was definitely some trauma that was like self-induced um, because I was just so hard on myself. So I would tell 13-year-old souls just to try softer. Well, X, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Pleasure chatting with you as always. Thank you. If folks want to find you on Instagram or social media, where can they find you? Yes, please follow me at eight zero dollars in a suitcase. And please follow Who Made the Potato Salad at Who Made the Potato Salad Show on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but I know that that's really where demons roam. So I'm not on there often. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram. I feel like that's where the young aunties reside. And that's me. And so I'm there um, on Instagram. And Who Made the Potato Salad? We're coming back with an, another Riding a Pilot TV workshop. We got flooded with so many DMs and comments and emails about please doing it again and I see that there's a need so if you are black or POC please uh, follow potato salad and be on the lookout for those workshops coming up on Instagram you can follow us at mediavillage.com on Instagram head over to mediavillage.com for all of our reviews interviews podcasts and more I'm Honiala and you're listening to Multicultural TV Talk <laughs>